All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you from the borough of Queens, and it is the 26th day of July, 2022. Uh, I want to thank all of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. also like to always encourage you to send along uh, comments that you might have about our show, uh, anything you have to say about our show, we would like to hear uh, what you're thinking. Send those, uh, send those comments along to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. We, of course, want to thank our sponsors, because without them there would be no show. Irving Resources, Noble Resources, Eloro Resources, SK Mining, Timberline Resources, and Lion One Metals are this week's sponsors. I've titled today's show, The Great Silver Bull. Peter Kraut, Quentin Henning, and Chen Lin return. Billionaire investor Ross Beattie, who founded Pan American Silver, wrote the following as part of a foreword to Peter Kraut's book titled The Great Silver Bull. Quote, I am convinced we are in a long-term bull market for silver and gold, and I expect investment returns in precious metals will outperform all other investment classes for the foreseeable future. Peter's book is an excellent introduction to why this is likely. End of quote. Well, Peter will be with me in the second half of today's show to explain why he is extremely bullish on silver, notwithstanding the likelihood that we are uh, perhaps already entering into a recession or worse. Uh, but we'll, have, we'll hear what Peter has to say and why he still is steadfastly bullish on silver. That would be in the second half of today's show. Speaking of silver, Quentin Henning will provide an update regarding El Laurel Resources' Iska Iska Silver Tin base metals deposit that is growing into a world-class deposit that's in Bolivia. Uh, it is a very, very exciting story and uh, with some incredibly long, high-grade intersections of silver and tin and some base metals along with it is a really a great story. And Quentin will be with me right after our first commercial break, so we really should pay attention to that if you like silver, as Peter Kraut does and I think Chen Lin does as well. And speaking of Chen, he's with me right now to give us his latest ideas about the about the markets and specifically about a, two or three of his favorite biotech stocks. Thanks for joining me, Chen. Hi, Jay. Nice to be back. Yeah, I'm extremely bullish on silver as well. I'm going to be at the Silver Symposium in a month and uh, also the Metal, Metal Investment Forum. I just to talk more about silver, what I discovered. I think it's the silver, the time of silver is here. Uh, we are next, you know, next six to 12 months will be very, very interesting. Well, I'd really like to hear more about what you have to, to say about silver, but we'll leave that for another day since we have so much more to talk about just yet. Uh, just maybe a quick overview. You uh, mentioned in a note to me this morning 
Uh, you wanted to comment on the situation in Asia and how the strong U.S. dollar is causing some real damage in that part of the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the country like Sri Lanka already collapsed, right? It's like next Zimbabwe, the currency collapsed, and there were protests on the street, and president fleeing, right? I mean, so you know that you saw that on the news. I also very, very, you know, concerning about this Pakistan, you know, currency also dropping hard. India mm-hmm. currency is dropping hard. Even wow. Hong Kong. It's hitting the Hong Kong government has to step in to support their currency because they're packed oh. with the dollar. Actually, that's uh, that could be could be some issues. So, throughout Asia, the currency are getting weaker. Actually, it's not so good for the physical demand of gold. As we know, the Indian holiday wedding season is coming in in in, in couple of months. So there's a Strong season, strong seasonality of gold, starting with the Indian holiday, but the Indian currency is weak. It's not very good for gold. That mm-hmm. was just that's a comment. But I think you know eventually gold will recover, and then let's just watch this uh, down, you know, downdraft, see where it hit the bottom, and then I think the rebound will be swift, because uh, you know China just suddenly realized they haven't they have too much U.S. dollar, U.S. dollar. U.S. dominated that and dollar. I think they probably want to buy more gold because supposedly Nancy Pelosi will will take a you know a United States military flight, you know, plane to Taiwan next month, mm-hmm. and then China uh, determined possibly. I mean, not determined possibly intercept. It could be a war starting next next month. So, well, what are the central bankers thinking? They might think, "Gosh, we have so too much U.S. dollar. Let's sell it and then buy gold." So the things mm-hmm. can happen can happen very very quickly. And then, as I said, mm-hmm. Pakistan is a nuclear power, right? They have more than 100 nuclear weapons available. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, if there if there are any issue with Pakistan, you know, the nuclear weapon will go to the highest bidder. My goodness. Well, you certainly have given us some things to think about already, Chen. Um, I guess we want to preserve our capital as much as possible. I know the dollar has been strong. I've been trying to keep some dry powder in my own account. For companies like I want to ask you about next, the biotech companies, which you have done extremely well with, and they're having a good day today, even when the equity market is very weak. Let's talk about Synoptogenics first. Trades on the on the NASDAQ SNPX. The company has only I believe this is right, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. 6.8 million shares outstanding. It is focused on developing therapeutics for patients with neurodegenerative diseases and uh, developmental disorders. It is developing a product platform based on a drug candidate called bryostatin, which is synthesized from a natural product, bryostatin, that is isolated from a marine invertebrate organism. And they're using this for the treatment of Alzheimer's. The company has announced some changes. Just this morning, there was a news release that talked about changes as they're preparing, uh, that is, uh, scientific advisory board changes as they're preparing for a phase two data uh, approach. Uh, Can you just give us an update on synaptogenics? And I guess it's a long shot, Chen. I think you think it's a long shot. But if they hit and they're able actually to do some some positive things to slow down or even reverse um, Alzheimer's, this would be a really big one, right? Oh, absolutely. So the thing is about this, um, uh, their approach, okay, they, they, are, uh, uh, they are doing a phase two trial, and it's uh-huh. sponsored by our National Institute of Health, okay? So uh-huh. it's not it's just uh, any company can get this kind of sponsorship. They have to have uh-huh. a very decent shot. Their technology mm-hmm. first developed in Stanford, 
Okay, they license from them, and then they do the uh, phase two trial, uh, earlier phase two trial, and then they realize it is interfering, uh, another Alzheimer drug interfere with their drug. So, uh, oh. so a subgroup works. So they now they're working on this, uh, make sure patients don't take that Alzheimer drug, and then do this phase two. It looks very promising. Data will come out in Q4. Okay, so basically a few months. Uh, the another thing is that there's a big scandal happened last week. Uh, if you heard of there's a science report, they found the uh, the big uh, data, basic data manipulation, or they cheated. Okay, the the most famous uh, Alzheimer uh, paper was was cheat was a cheat. Oh no! So oh. so they actually they, when they when they investigate another company called Sava S A V A, that's a tick symbol that they found out that's a cheat. And so actually oh, oh. the billion-dollar company is going down rather quickly. It still has a much higher market cap than, than Snapgenix, but, but it, it is fun. And then the most importantly, most of the biotech, oh, these are going for that route, for alpha-beta route. Alpha-beta, there's a special, it's a, a plaque, you know, right there, they go, they, they, they're targeting alpha-beta. And then, Every trial failed, including Roche, including all the, all these. That now people start realize, wow, they were all wrong because of their foundation was wrong. The, the, the paper that was so famous that won so many awards actually is a cheat. So <laughs> that's that's going wow. to be very interesting, and then there will be some consequence, right? So we will see from um, from a few um, in a few years. I mean that the whole. Uh, the whole pharmaceutical industry is going to the wrong direction. Yeah. That's the thing. Well, so, uh, well, uh, but Snapgenics is different. Okay, they they have a different approach. So that's what also highlights this. If this is successful, this is going to be huge. Uh, they right. will be. Yep. This is going to be earth shaking. So the data will come out in in Q4. And uh, as an investor, I mean, it's down a little bit. I think down like twenty twenty five percent from. I first bought it, but you know, in this market, it's pretty good. We'll see. It's a lottery ticket, as we said. Uh, unfortunately, it's a, we're in a bear market. Usually, have this kind of excitement with this little market cap, the stock will go up before the, the data come out, and then we can sell some to reduce to reduce risk. But this market, we couldn't do it. So I, I think it's, unless maybe there will be run up in the next few months, then I will sell some to reduce risk. Otherwise, I will just hold. Uh, my my data into the readout. Hold my share into the data readout. So that's in uh, in Q4. Right. It was my understanding uh, that in fact Briostatin showed not only to slow down the progression of Alzheimer's, but uh, the early indications are that there may actually be some reversal of it. And I guess exactly. we'll have to wait until phase they two. A, they have an indication to reverse. But again, uh-huh. I have to warn you that every Alzheimer trial failed, okay, even yeah. including that uh, whatever that controversial trial was approved. That was very, uh, lot of sh- very shaky ground that was the, the yeah. approval. But yeah. this one can, well, can change. This one can change. That's hope. You know, this is a good, good for hope for, the, for mankind, right? So that's, that's what, why we invest in biotech. Absolutely. Well, Chen, with just a couple of minutes left, I want to ask you about Tresita, which I believe you think is a higher probability success story, uh, 50.8 oh, yeah. million very, shares are, I mean. Yeah, it's very different, sorry, very different story, very different probability. I think if you look at the, their phase two data, if you look at the other 
scientific paper, all the data pointing to at least 99% chance of success. Okay, their data readout is likely in October, okay, so uh, early Q4, and they're, they're moving everything on time. So uh, there are some heavy, heavy insider purchases. If you look at insider report, there is a fund like buying them every day right now. <laughs> if the market is not so bad, we will have a huge breakout already. So, uh, but but still, it's up nicely today, even in a, in a terrible market. And the chance again, the chance of success is extremely high. Uh, right. So I, I'm quite confident and plan to hold my my position into into the data. Right, and I, it's my and of course this is a uh, this company's drug is aimed at slowing down chronic kidney disease, and it's been very effective in the early trials. So, uh, one that that the, also the market would be very yeah. sizable for this as well, Chen. Huge, yeah. This could be right. the, one of the largest drug, if it's not the largest oh. drug, if it got approved. So, so the okay. the, the price oh, oh. is very very high. Okay, so. Uh, the price is nine dollars and forty-five cents earlier today. Is what mm-hmm. I saw. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, one of the nice winners for me. <laughs> it's tough to have winners. All, all right, Chen, we're just about out of time. In fact, we are. But I want to ask you if you can just take uh, thirty seconds or a minute or so to comment on Amaris. Three hundred twenty million shares outstanding. It's selling at under two dollars right now. Uh, this is really a, a very exciting story, but obviously market's not terribly excited given the price. Just uh, tell us what your some quick comments on that one, because I know it's been a favorite of yours and one of mine as right. well. Right. So, so the, 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 the technology is by Symbio. It's a next-generation bioscience, okay? It's very exciting, but they are burning cash very fast. Uh, they burned 150 million last quarter. They will report in a couple of weeks. They will likely burn. I'm just chatting with a few large funds and, and shareholders, and they think, we think they're probably going to burn another $150 million this quarter, and they have $280 million left. So people worry about, oh, that is their dilution coming. It's unlikely, okay, because they have many other sources, right? So one of the key is they will sell their molecule. They Potentially, they sell the molecule management mentioned the 250 million cash. That's by the end of the year. Uh, we'll see. So that will be the main source. But also, they have other sources. I mean, they, they, they can have a prepayment of their uh, licensing deal. They can, uh, they can mortgage their current um, Baja Bonita plan. So uh, we'll see that in uh, visited in a few weeks and see what the result going to look like. Uh, the Q2 is uh, really worrisome. This is probably the heaviest burn uh, right now in the company history, and then will will turn dramatically. Hopefully, we are hoping dramatically yeah. in the Q3 and Q4 because they are seasonal. Q4 will be the strongest. The management was guiding cash flow positive in Q4. Okay, mm-hmm. let's see if they change any guidance or not. Mm-hmm. Well, if that happens, this could really uh, be a rocket ship ride, I would think, uh, Chan, because the uh, the applications and the ability of this company to create molecules, um, you know, synthetically, uh, it's just really almost almost endless, it seems. So it's really an exciting story, and I want to thank you for bringing the, all three of those to my attention and to the attention of our listeners as well, Chan. Thank you so much. We are out of time. Uh, we'll pick it up again sometime in the future. All right. All right. All right, folks, we do have to go to break, but don't go away. Quentin Henning will be with me right after the break to talk about the ISCA ISCA project, a Laurel Resources developing. Very exciting story as well, so don't go away. We'll be right back.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have Dr. Quentin Hanning with me once again. Today he's here to give us an update on LRO Resources. It's a company that he is an advisor to, and it is also a company, I believe, that the firm he works for uh, and is a principal of um, also owns LRO. It uh, trades uh, ELO in Canada, ELRRF in the U.S., 69.9 million shares. Uh, $2.95 in U.S. money, thereabouts, $206 million market cap. Uh, it is a story that is emerging into a world-class uh, deposit and a very, very exciting story. Thanks for joining me, Quentin. Hey, Jay. Always a pleasure. Really good to have you again. Uh, last time we talked to you about El Oro was May 10th, and since then there have been some spectacular intercepts reported by the company. I mean, some of the headline numbers I have in front of me, uh, May 25th, uh, 251 meters, grading 160 grams, uh, silver equivalent. Uh, June 14th, 88.66 meters, grading 146 uh, grams of gold, uh, silver equivalent. Uh, and then July 21st, really the biggest of them all so far, I think, uh, 349 meters, grading 188.6 uh, grams per ton silver equivalent. And those, when I looked at those numbers and sort of can put them into terms of gold and then looked at gram meters, they seem pretty spectacular to me, uh, Quentin. Uh, yeah. Is that is that the way you see it? Uh, very much so, yeah. I, I do the same thing, Jesus. I'm chuckling because I do almost the exact same thing as what you're describing. Um, yeah, look, at, at 188 gram silver equivalent per ton, you know, that <laughs> It depending on what you use. I mean, right now the silver gold ratio has spiked up because of uh, whatever. I yeah. mean, it, it hasn't had. I mean, it's, you know, now everything's kind of fallen. But uh, 
you know, it's if you use 80, let's say, okay, you get about a little over two grams, 2.25 grams or something like that per uh -huh. ton. And 350 meters. I mean, that's that's just mind-boggling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, it, it really is. Uh, but but you know this this is not just an occasional hit. Uh, an awful lot of drilling has taken place into this uh, primary, well, an area that they're really looking, I guess, to put together uh, their their maiden resource in the not too distant future. I'm hoping. Uh, can, can you give us an idea? And I and you've done a wonderful job. If people go to Crestcat gets active, your last video this last Friday um, really sort of you know you did a like a three dimensional. Um, picture that really helps people get a sense of how this thing hangs together. Uh, could you just talk a little bit about the dimensions of what we know so far based on the drilling that's taken place today? Sure. Uh, yes. Uh, first of all, I'll talk about these types of systems. They are what we call polymetallic systems, and they, that means they have a lot of different metals in, in them. In this case, they have silver, uh, zinc, lead, tin, there's even a bit of gold. There's even a bit of copper. And uh, the scale of this thing uh, is is impressive. There's a lot of systems in Bolivia that are quite large. There, you know, Bolivia's uh, well endowed with this particular type of, of deposit. Uh, but this one in particular seems to be extraordinarily big. Uh, right now, from north to south, I think the total length uh, of mineralization is around 2.2 kilometers. Uh, from surface down to the deepest drilling that, that's been done on the property. You know, we see intercepts down a kilometer, and it's open at depth. And then uh, the width is approaching a kilometer as well. So, you know, and, and it's open. It's still open. There's not nothing has closed this thing off. You know, what, uh, what I think is important for people to understand, though, is, you know, th this thing will there, – there's definitely a lot of mineralization here. It will underpin a large resource. But what's really exciting here uh, just recently, like with this news release – is they've identified a particularly, uh, you know, a notable higher grade zone around the Santa Barbara area and in the southern Santa Barbara area, where that that drill intercept that you mentioned a minute ago came from. It's 349 meters of 188 gram per ton silver equivalent, and and that's really starting. It was an underground hole, okay, so it's collared in a small added and uh, underground working. That's about 100 meters below surface, but it, it was mineralized from the start of the hole, you know, down nearly 350 meters continuously. That's extraordinary. I mean, you know, anybody that has uh, a, any level of doubt around this system and its capacity to generate a remarkable mine, uh, that that hole pretty much kills that. Okay, you, you've got a, a killer uh, deposit here. Uh, I show in the, the 3D model that mm -hmm. put on Friday, you know, what a pit might look like. You can kind of, you know, look at the video and you can imagine just drawing a pit, drawing a cone-shaped pit around any of that. And you'll see that uh, the mineralization drilled to date should form an exquisite open pit deposit. I would say there's there's virtually no stripping off surface. I mean, there's going to be a bit of oxide at the top that you have to take off, meaning, <clears throat> you know, there's no mineralization in it because it's oxidized away. Uh, but it's pretty thin, you know, so you, you strip that off. But then once you get down into the deposit, I mean, you know, probably the volume of mineralization within the Santa Barbara area is like 70 or 80%. So your internal waste is really, you're only stripping. And, you know, that's minimal. So um, <clears throat> what's not to like? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. of course, of course, we're looking forward to a, a maiden resource. Uh, and the company keeps expanding the 
the size of the middle of the uh, of the resource. So I don't know, do they have a firm date for coming up with a resource, or is that still open? Depending on it, it's it's still open, and you know I I actually am one of the advocates that kind of push to keep it open because mm-hmm. I think. Uh, you know, like, why would you stop drilling and, and announce a resource when you, you're halfway through and you're still hitting holes like this? <laughs> uh, it doesn't make any sense. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I guess I would advocate the company should certainly at least drill off or you know close off this high-grade Santa Barbara area before they announce a resource. But maybe even, you know, uh, well, I, we'll see. I mean, they, there's plenty of runway down to the south there where they they continue drilling too so maybe they hit, hit even more who knows yeah there's a, a there's a, a series of breccia pipes and i think one that i've noticed is the porco central pipe which is in the south of this caldera formation uh i guess so i guess the, my question is to what extent are there are they focused on that uh santa barbara area that they're sort of uh, building a resource around i would think that was uh or, or you know to what extent are they really wanting to close that off and 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 come up well, with a number or to what extent are they stepping out i mean it's so it's almost endless i mean we could we could die of old age before this thing uh, goes that's a good question look i i would say you know the ultimate goal of any project like this or work exploration work like this is to to define a resource that can go into a mine that can become a mine so I think once um, Bill and Oswaldo and team have a sense that they have something that can, you know, uh, underpin a very large scale mine, say, you know, similar to San Cristobal or the other big mines in Bolivia, I think they'll they'll probably uh, round it off at that point and move, take it to a resource, but then move it towards economic study. Um, I don't see any, like at this point, they've de-risked this thing so much. Uh, I don't see any other significant issues popping up, like they've done some metallurgical work here recently. I talked about, I think, I think I may, maybe talked about it on the show. I can't remember. You did, uh, yes, you did on 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 the tenth, yes, on uh, the last time you were on. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Okay, but that that met work, you know, clearly shows uh, this thing will generate exceptionally you know, clean and high quality concentrates. So they they basically are on a good a good track right now. The fact they don't have a resource right yet is not a bother to me because I don't want to see him announce it with holes like this coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I think look, they're smart guys. They will put this together into a presentable picture uh, within the next six to 12 months that just blows the the lights out. You know, it absolutely shoots the lights out for terms of the scale, the size of it, but also the economics. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your thought. I, I was just going to say that uh, you know I, I've I got some familiarity with the deposits in Bolivia, and I know what makes a lot of money. Uh, this should make a lot of money. Okay, this is very simple rock. You put it in a mill, you grind it down, you float a, a lead, you float a zinc con, and you, you sell the product. This the silver typically goes into the lead con, at least primarily. Some of it goes into the zinc con. That's where you recover the silver. Now the other gravy here, of course, is the tin. There's a tin component, and that can be, it sounds like it can be floated as well. All right, so you're going to have very saleable concentrates out of this, and the cost should be very, very low because you're going to be milling this at a rate of, say, probably an order of 50 to 70,000 tons per day. Wow. Okay. And uh, could you give us some sense of, I know that the deposit varies in terms of its metal, metal makeup uh, from 
place to place. But could you give us a sense of what sort of percentage of the valuation current current prices uh, is comprised of silver com- compared to tin and maybe the base metals? Yeah, silver uh, in in this look. If you just break down like this drill hole, you can see right yeah. away. Silver is about 45 grams out of the 188. So what is that? That's a, a little less or about a quarter. We'll call it, a little mm-hmm. less. Than, see, little, little more, uh, yeah. the zinc is going to be a, a big part of that because zinc's 1.05 percent in this drill hole. So I would say zinc's going to be a, a bit over 50 percent of the value. Lead's going to be significant. Uh, at 0.76%, but tin, uh, even though tin's 0.14% in this drill hole, uh, tin's worth a lot of money these days. You know, it's trading for around 20, I think dollars $25,000 a ton. Mm. So the tin alone is going to add a lot of value here. So I would say first zinc, probably second will be either tin or silver, and then third would probably be, uh, you know, whatever doesn't fall in that spot, tin or silver. And then fourth will be uh, lead, but there is a there isn't is even a sniff of gold and and uh, you know like I said there's a sniff of copper in, in places here too so okay all right well it certainly looks good uh, just just real uh, well no my engineer's telling me I have two minutes yet so let me ask you what do you think um, if could you give us sort of a a rough very rough because we realize uh, you know we well there's been a lot of drilling so I'm I'm guessing that you might be able to give us some sort of sense of tonnage. Based on the on the parameters drilled out so far, and just roughly what kind of a uh, silver equivalent grade, uh, you know, give us a sort of a pessimistic I, view of it. I'll break it down in a couple of ways. Okay, so um, you know, if you look at the entire body of you know area that's been drilled out so far, you know, you come up with with very large tonnages. Now, not all of that is mineralized. Okay, some yeah. of the- have you know 20 or 30 percent are mineralized and other drill holes you know 60 70 80 percent are mineralized but i would say if if you right now if you look at the the volume that's been drilled i would say on the order of you know upper uh, just under a billion tons to maybe a bit over a billion tons in that range and i would say that that bulk grade would probably be in the 100 120 grams somewhere in there silver equivalent mm-hmm. But if you, you carve out the Santa Barbara area in particular, which is really shaping up to be a high-grade part to this, I would say you're probably looking at maybe three, four, five hundred thousand 500,000 tons, and it's going to have a, a higher silver equivalent grade, probably on the order of uh, 130 to 160 grams per ton, mm-hmm. silver, somewhere in there. That's my bet. And, and you know, what's going to make the best money? Well, that Santa Barbara area, like <laughs> that is, uh, is an amazing deposit in its own right. So... Um, I, I guess what I would say, Jay, is that if you look at the future of this, they'll probably mine. My guess is they'll mine Santa Barbara area, much like they mine, say, San Cristobal, which is nearby. And and then, you know, 50 or 100 years from now, when most of us are, are gone, <laughs> they'll be mining the rest of it, you know. <laughs> so it's a, it's a giant. And, of course, giant projects require giant CapEx. And at this point in time with the world, you know, who knows where things are going globally in the uh, the economy uh, that's always an issue of course uh, but certainly the majors uh, must have their eyes on this thing I would think the big boys must at least their geologists must be well aware of of, uh, of, the, of this of the of this evolving major world-class deposit yeah there there are certain companies certain major mining companies that are that have an appetite to, to operate in Bolivia you know, you can see some who are operating there now, uh, but there's others that are starting to, to kind of test the waters too. They're sticking their toe in. 
So, uh, yes, I think the, the, the general picture, it's interesting. Bolivia is actually moving in the right direction, in my view, uh, mm -hmm. around mining, mining investment and attracting that money. And other countries, you know, we can pick up every, like Chile, for example, are moving in the wrong direction. So Bolivia, I think, is going to be the beneficiary of of the next wave of, uh, of resource, you know, the commodity boom that we expect to come here soon. All right. Very good. Well, I guess uh, we just keep our eyes on the drill results. They're always amazing, it seems, uh, uh, when you start looking at them in terms of grams per meter and put it in terms of gold. And I just, uh, you know, I look at that chart that you provided at Crescat gets active in terms of, you know, the top 10%, the top 1%. Uh, and a lot of these drill holes, if you equate them into gold, would fall into those top levels, I think. So very exciting, uh, Quentin. I guess just, just watch for news coming out. There'll be a steady flow of it, I guess. That's right. I think uh, plenty more good news. And lots of money. They're in good shape. I think they don't have to raise any money. They only have, I think I mentioned, a little under 70 million shares, which is also very good. That's correct. Yes, they're in good shape. Very tight, tight shareholding. Sure. And we're a strong supporter. Very good. All right. Thank you very much, Quentin, uh, for updating us on this. Folks, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because Peter Kraut will be here to talk about his book, The Great Silver Bull. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Peter Kraut. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Peter Kraut with me. Uh, Peter was with me briefly, very briefly, all too briefly, uh, back on July 12th, and that's why uh, we just didn't have time to even begin to scratch the surface of the things that Peter had to tell us. So I'm really happy that he could come back with us today. Uh, primarily, we want to focus on uh, the ideas, some of the ideas uh, in his book, The Great Silver Bull, which you can uh, pick up at Amazon. Uh, I think if you're interested in investing and interested in, in silver and the precious metals, uh, this is a must read. I did uh, pass on in my introduction to today's show uh, some, some glaring uh, uh, positive comments about the book. 
um, from Ross Beattie, uh, and there's other people as well that have read it. Uh, it is really a very extensive uh, read about silver. So if you're really into silver, this is a must-read. Peter, thanks so much for joining me again. Well, thanks so much to you, Jay, and thanks for that uh, that intro. You know, um, you're obviously a silver bull. Uh, you wouldn't be writing a book like that, I suppose. <laughs> otherwise, That's right. uh, but you know, but, you know, but silver, like gold, has been a disappointment to a lot of us uh, who are in the uh, hard money sector with the precious metals. Um, wh- why do you think silver hasn't done particularly well, even though we're I'm- seeing these these high uh, inflation rates? Absolutely. So you're right. I mean, um, a lot of us, most of us, I think, probably that are um, that understand this this sector, certainly have expected um, that uh, gold and silver would have done better, and the uh, the associated mining stocks as well. And they have sold off. The metals have sold off. The mining stocks have sold off. And there are a few reasons for that. I think one of the best, or two of the biggest reasons, are that. The Fed's been in a uh, rate hiking cycle, so they've been raising rates and are expected to raise rates probably again tomorrow, uh, significantly at least um, on a on a uh, on an interim basis, um, and uh, that has uh, scared I think uh, people in general. Uh, you know, if you look at what stocks and bonds have done, that has hurt those sectors as well, because higher rates hurt um, nearly everything. What they don't hurt, though, is the dollar. So it attracts money to the U.S. dollar. It's also been bought up as a haven, a safe haven. And uh, shorter-term bonds tend to pay more because rates are going up. So it's attracted money to the dollar. The dollar has gotten stronger. And a stronger dollar means it takes less dollars to buy precious metals. Mm -hmm. So when it takes less dollars to buy precious metals, their prices go down. And so that's what we've seen happen. And that's as much true, um, certainly for gold as it is for silver. Gold, I should say, I should say somewhat less, in fact, uh, for gold than it is for silver, simply because gold, I think, is, is the first sort of go-to, um, when it comes to a haven. So actually gold has held up relatively well. And silver has gone down, certainly not as much as, um, as stocks and even bonds have, especially since the start of the year. But, um, you know, I think investors need to be able to understand, look at the bigger picture, zoom out, step back, filter out some of the noise, and realize that um, the setup that we have right now could hardly be better. And um, I think that if you have uh, a really good perspective, which is something that, as you mentioned, I mean, I really, really strive for that in the book. That's what I want people to be able to get from the book is that, you look back through history and you see what um, what circumstances we're in now have often repeated and how silver has performed in those kinds of environments. And as, as Ross Beatty says in the foreword for the book, um, we are in exactly the kind of environment when silver tends to perform very well. And so in the recent sort of near medium term, it has underperformed. But that actually helps to set up um, a, tre- uh, a tremendous um, forward uh, outlook for both the metals and the associated stocks. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly you mentioned uh, you know the, the conditions that we're in now, uh, rising interest rates, and you 
you mentioned in your note to me that the Fed is trapped. It really can't raise rates much further, even though inflation rates are very high. And it it, it, it feels the need to raise rates, but if it does, the whole, uh, you know, the dominoes will start tipping over. And, um, and so it can't really raise rates, you say. Uh, maybe you want to just comment on why. Um, why the Fed is, is trapped and why it's gotten itself into this position. Absolutely. And I think that if there is the, a key that everyone really needs to understand, it's exactly that right now. I think that's sort of the, the single most important thing for people to, to understand and realize. It's, it's not something, something complicated, and, but if they do realize it and understand it, then they'll understand the, the fallout from it. And so that's exactly it. I do say that the Fed is trapped in the sense that, you know, if we look at recent um, inflation numbers, we're at 9.1% in the U.S., we're at 8.1% in Canada. These are 40-year highs in, in inflation. And um, the Fed really ought to and knows it ought to. Everyone knows. <laughs> it's not a secret um, that the Fed really ought to be raising rates. In fact, if it were to properly fight inflation, it should be at rates at the very least um, that are close to or above official inflation, which is at 9% mm -hmm. right now. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how many of your listeners think that the Fed is able to raise rates to 9%, but I think the odds of that are very, very close to zero. Right. I mean, it's, it's quite clear that if you look at things like government, the size of government debt, the size of business debt, consumer debt, car loans, mortgages, student debt, it just, they're almost all at, at record highs. And this has been, this has grown to, to these levels and has been sustainable because of low rates. So mm -hmm. if you think for, for a moment that, I mean, some of the research tells us that if the Fed were to raise rates to just 3%, the U.S. national budget um, would see about 20% of it go to just paying the interest. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that's a huge right. chunk of, of, the, of the annual budget for, um, for the U.S. Um, and again, so the Fed really, I mean, if it did raise rates enough, let's say it went to 6, 7, 8, 9%, that would clearly, uh, you know, crush the housing sector. It would devastate business. It would uh, severely handicap uh, government uh, spending because so much of it would go to interest payments. Um, it would devastate student loans, car loans. It just goes on and on and on. So, I mean, if you see all of this, you understand it. To me, uh, it, what, it, what the conclusion I, I come to through, through all of that is that it knows it should raise rates. It should be, <laughs> it should be raising rates. It's incapable of sufficiently raising rates, and therefore it will talk tough. That's really all it has is the ability mm -hmm. to try and manage expectations. So it will absolutely talk tough, uh, make it sound like it's going to keep fighting inflation, but in fact it will absolutely be unable to, and inflation will stay high and continue to stay high for an extended period. I think we're on, on to probably a decade's worth in total, at least, um, of, of high inflation. And that's the biggest threat to everyone's wealth. They really need to understand that and, and look at what the implications are in terms of how to deal with it. And, um, and silver is absolutely... Um, at least one part uh, of the answer to how to deal with uh, with with uh, high and ongoing high inflation. I have a sense that it, we won't be able to get anywhere nearly uh, that level that you mentioned of, of interest rates to break uh, 
to, to, to cure inflation. It's my sense that before, long before we get there, we'll have a devastating decline in the economic activity that will probably make demand so weak that interest rates will fall. Uh, you know, and then we're going to have to see what I think will drive silver. Uh, and you're, you're very bullish on silver. I'm looking at silver now. It's got to be, you know, not too far off the bottom from the last 20, 22 years or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hit $46 in 2011, I think, is what I saw on the chart. You know, it's where is it now, around 1870 or exactly. something like that? Yeah. Um, so, so, so the table is set, you said. Uh, if they keep raising rates, and, and my sense is that they can't keep raising rates before before they break something and the whole house of cards comes tumbling down. That's my thought. Uh, and so that probably long before we get to that 9% level that you're talking about, uh, you know, de- demand will be so devastated that rates will fall. Uh, and then they're going to have to be, they're going to have probably start to reinflate again. Would that be the time, Peter, when you think we might see silver really starting to pick up gold and as well? Yes, that's that's exactly right. That is the kind of uh, narrative and, and scenario that I see playing out. It it may even come as soon as as the uh, as the um, pause in, in uh, rate hikes, because I think the market will realize that. I mean, it, it all depends, uh, you know, on on expectation management and presentation and so on. But there, I think odds are high that the market will realize that the Fed knows it's reached its limit at that point. And imagine if it barely makes it to, say, raising rates to 3% or so, or, or perhaps slightly above 3 um, that it would need to potentially start cutting rates mm-hmm. from that point, as you say, um, if, you know, they've helped to cause a recession. So imagine how little, how few bullets they have to fight inflation, uh, sorry, to fight uh, a, a downturn if if they've only been able to raise rates to somewhere around 3%, that really gives them very little room. And so they'll, they'll, you know, a lot of other measures will, would end up being uh, coming into play, other tools, uh, renewed quantitative easing, easing um, things like um, monetizing the debt. And we've talked about things like uh, modern monetary theory where, where uh, you know, <laughs> the, uh, the um, the deficits, the annual deficits, are just regarded as something not to be worried about anymore. And it's funny because modern monetary theory is all was all presented on the the, the idea that we, we didn't have to worry about inflation. Well, a lot of these modern monetary theorists are are sticking their heads in the sand and, and backing off right now because the inflation has come roaring, and and it's clear to to, to I think the rest of us at least that. Uh, uh, modern monetary theory simply doesn't work, and it's it's something out in la la land, and um, it's it's just it's just a bit of a pipe dream. Um, but um, you know, the Fed allowing, or I'm going to put in quotes, allowing inflation to run high, really in in a sense suits it suits it and it suits the government because. Mm-hmm. High inflation means a devaluing currency, and a devaluing currency means making uh, paying back huge, huge debt easier over time. And so, I I actually believe that's that's actually part of the plan is to to have inflation high and run high, and 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 a Fed that feels like it really can't do much about it and, and actually not do really much about it and uh, allow that to go on for an extended period in order to try and, to some extent, at least manage uh, repaying the debt. 
Right. I suspect that they, you're right about that, but they just want to make sure it doesn't happen too rapidly. A right. hyperinflation would would you know cause them to lose their currency, perhaps, and uh, and then the whole you know the whole empire comes tumbling down, and that's certainly not something the Federal Reserve wants. There are some people that have had on this show that believe that as long as Jerome Powell is there, they won't be any monetary monitor the MMT modern right. monetary theory. Uh, and he seems, in fact, David Stockman, who was on this show recently, suggested that he doesn't think we're going to see any Powell pivot anytime soon. Because uh, because of the anger that's out there with regard to inflation, especially among you know the middle class, lower middle class people that are really right. having a tough time of it, uh, and right. so that's an interesting. You know, he points out that this time is so much different because before when Powell pivoted, we had a two percent under two percent inflation rate, and there was no no harm. But this time, uh, the political pressure is on Powell to fix this inflation rate uh, inflation problem. On the other hand, if it gets too tight. You know, you've got the uh, the ultra liberals over there that are screaming and hollering that he's it's all his fault. Those are the ones that want to have want to put MMT in place, I guess. Well, Peter, let me ask you this: uh, sure. you're, you're talking about talk a little bit about the fundamentals. We're we're really touching on the monetary aspects right. of silver so far. There are industrial aspects that are coming into play like never before, and you're talking about the potential for a three hundred dollar per ounce silver price, which I think is. You know, who knows where the dollar, to me, it, it, it depends on where the dollar goes to a great extent. So any number is possible, in my view, depending on the dollar and a lot of other factors. But maybe just talk a little bit about the fundamentals for silver and why, right. you know, those higher numbers are, are certainly reasonable and not crazy stuff. Right. So uh, a little more than half, 54%, in fact, of, of silver is used for industrial applications. And... Um, the again, just sort of an interesting uh, point to note is that the all-in cost to produce an ounce of silver is right around eighteen dollars, and we're just uh-huh. slightly above that right now, just eighteen fifty or so. And so, in my view, at least, it, it's always possible, and it does happen for some commodities for usually short periods of time. That you, if you get you know enough ex- external pressure, that um, and sentiment, in fact, as well that you can get um, the commodity trading below its cost of production, but it usually doesn't last long because uh, the uh, the producers will try to adjust and, and scale back and so on. So I believe the $18, approximately $18 range helps to provide a floor. And because industrial uses are, are so important and so consistent um, and so supported as well, even by, by government, because a lot of silver has truly become uh, a green metal. Mm-hmm. The single biggest use of any kind um, for for silver is uh, for solar panels. So 11% of all of the silver consumed every year goes just to solar panels. And the coming technologies, the, the next generation technologies in solar panels that give just some slight incremental uh, improved efficiencies. In fact, the next technology is likely to use about 50% more silver, and the technology to follow on after that is likely to use as much as 150% the current amount of silver. So this is very, very uh, supportive of, uh, of the silver market and for higher silver prices. And you know, silver, about 20 grams, so that's about two-thirds of an ounce of silver goes into each uh, solar panel. This is just roughly. So if you think about it, if you think about the cost of silver, 
an ounce of silver is at, say, being 18 or $20. So really about maybe $12, $13, $14 of silver goes into a silver panel that uh, is a lot more expensive. So the silver uh, panel manufacturers, obviously they try to reduce the amount of silver. There are limits to that, to, to efficiencies, to the amount of silver that goes into each panel. But because the, the net cost of the amount of silver that goes into one panel is relatively low, uh, it's not a, a factor that would um, higher silver prices or mm-hmm. at least reasonably higher silver prices, even a doubling or tripling, would likely not be enough to slow down the production of, of solar. In fact, in mm-hmm. some places, solar is the single cheapest next um, uh, source of, of power, of electricity. Uh, some mm-hmm. countries, for example, Vietnam, uh, I had uh, read recently, uh, is adding solar because it's the single cheapest uh, source of electricity for them. So mm-hmm. solar is very big, and it's a green energy um, source of electricity. Governments are very supportive. And we talked about the economy. You know, if the Fed, um, if, if uh, there is a recession, and then governments and central planners are starting to look for ways to support the economy and get things kick-started once again, we saw this in the year or two after COVID um, that all of the green uh, energy and green uh, sector was very, very much supported by, by government. And this is almost on a, on a unanimous worldwide basis. So mm-hmm. you could uh, readily assume that uh, solar being considered very green would continue to get a lot of support. I feel that industrial demand will continue to provide a floor under the silver mm-hmm. price, mm-hmm. a rising floor, in fact, because electronics, electrical, medical, EVs, these things all use silver and growing amounts of silver. These are all growing sectors. And so uh, they will continue to demand more silver. These, this will help push a steady rise in the price of silver. And then it's the investment side, which we can talk about, uh, which I believe is the wild card that is going to help push uh, silver dramatically higher in the future. All right, Peter. Well, we're just, uh, we have less than a minute left, and I want to ask you about your you also uh, cover some silver mining stocks, exploration and mining stocks. I don't know if there are any producers, but silverstockinvestor.com is where people can go uh, to learn more about your about your work, right? Silverstockinvestor.com, exactly and they can subscribe to your newsletter there. Uh, and uh, you do cover companies. Maybe just 30 seconds if you can tell me what do you look for uh, when you pick uh, silver mining stocks? So I do cover everything from physical silver, royalty companies, large producers, developers, and junior explorers. And so I have a few filters in terms of who I will consider to include in the portfolio. One of the big ones is jurisdiction. I look for companies working in places that are relatively safer and more secure in terms of not having their properties expropriated or taxes raised dramatically, things like that. Um, I look for, believe it or not, uh, companies whose either, they're, if they're producing or if they have a, a discovery, if they have a, um, an ore body, a deposit, that at least 40 to 50% of the content or the revenues, if they produce, come from silver. 
which is uh, surprising perhaps, but many companies build themselves as silver companies when they really aren't. And so yeah. since my uh, newsletter is all about silver uh, and how to invest in silver, um, there has to be an absolute focus on silver content. Um, okay, and, uh, we're going to have to. For, we're going to have yeah. to leave it. We're going to have to leave it go at that, Peter. We're really out of time. Sorry, we'll have you back, and we'll we'll continue the discussion sometime in the near term. Um, thank you. My apologies, but we do have to go. My engineer is saying, time is up. All right, no uh, folks, thank, that is it for this so week. Much. But next week, uh, Brian Lenny will be with me. He's an engineer, investment newsletter writer, as well, and uh, Timberline Resources uh, CEO Patrick Highsmith joins me as well. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 